Good Friday evening, everyone. It is a treat and an honor to be back and to be with you. I had a uh, wonderful journey today, awoke to about two or three inches of snow in Dubuque, Iowa, and so had a little bit of shoveling to do for um, uh, the family's sake before I uh, hit the road about 8.30 this a.m. and rolled in this afternoon. I won't tell you exactly when, but we made just great time and uh, just really pleased to, to be with you. I had the the grand occasion to do a little thinking on this journey. I, I'm usually flying these days, and I was thrilled for many reasons to drive instead. I tried to fly in last time, and it was a disaster. Maybe you recall that. And so this worked out better for many reasons. But I had the occasion to do a, a little thinking and a little pondering. And uh, as I did so, I couldn't help but conclude that this has been a very difficult year, hasn't it? It's been a difficult year. It was about this time last year that my dad had a fall during the night, and the remaining months that ensued were uh, challenging in a variety of ways. Uh, And then, as many of you know, on, on March the 18th, the reality of this biblical truth we experienced as a family, absent from the body, at home with the Lord. I remember gathering with my sisters. Uh, My dad came back from a place called Grand Meadows, and we gathered uh, together. uh, And I said to my, my three older sisters, can you really even believe it? That in just a little while, in just a few moments, dad will be absent from the body and at home with the Lord. What a what a marvelous, comforting truth. And uh, a reality that's full of difficulty and sorrow as well. It's been a difficult year. I've stayed in touch with you all uh, through various people. Uh, Some serve on the board of the ministry where I serve at Believers Stewardship Services. I am uh, related uh, indeed to some of you as well. And uh, I've been uh, kept in the know in regards to what's happening here at Northern Hills. And I will not even begin to try to highlight the difficult things that you've experienced uh, this last season. It's been a difficult year, hasn't it? It's been a difficult year. And the difficulties are still before us, aren't they? There are some people who would normally be here tonight who can't be here tonight because they're going through difficult days, hurt and, and, and heartache. And so they're unable to attend. And there are prayer updates and communications and announcements that that to continue to uh, be sent electronically, keeping everybody up to speed and in the know. It's been a difficult year, hasn't it? It's been a difficult year. So my question for us this weekend together is, is simply this. And I trust practically It is this. How do we deal with difficult days? How do we deal with difficult days? What does, more specifically, what does God's word tell us in regards to our responses to difficult days? Um, I'd love to give you a little homework. Uh, Sean's going to give you a 
a four by six card even at this time. And, and allow me to just share with you that this homework will not be collected. This homework is not to necessarily be done tonight, although feel free to do so if you'd like to begin the process. Uh, this homework is for you to do in the coming days, in the coming days, and uh, I will qualify the homework in just a moment with our opening passage. But I really want us to begin together to think about how is it that we as believers are supposed to deal with difficult days. As many of you know, I, I spent several years in um, Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I graduated from Dallas Seminary in 1994, and I moved to Murfreesboro, Tennessee, and I lived there from 94 until May of 2005. I was involved in youth ministry specifically, and then uh, camp ministry and other types of ministry as well, uh, at the same time being involved in a business with one of our elders uh, in the local churches there. I remember in 93 and 94, right when I was finishing seminary and had already begun youth ministry, there was, there was an, uh, a Christian artist who released a, a CD and actually a curriculum for those in youth ministry entitled Songs from the Loft. Anybody ever heard of that? Songs from the Loft? Some of you remember uh, uh, a time when Amy Grant... Uh, was involved, especially in Christian contemporary music. Some of you don't want to remember that. We all have choices, preferences in this area. Um, but she released a song on that particular project and album that went like this. I said album, CD, if you will. Um, I won't sing it to you, and you're welcome, but here's how it, it went nevertheless. It stated this. We believe in God... And we all need Jesus because life is hard and it might not get easier. Isn't that encouraging tonight? We believe in God and we, we all need Jesus because life is hard and it might not get easier. That's a true statement, isn't it? It's a true statement. So, so my question for us this weekend is, how is it that we are supposed to respond in the midst of difficult days? It's been a hard year. I invite you to turn to your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. Do any of you recall, um, and, and don't be embarrassed by your honest response to this question, do you, any of you recall looking at uh, a chapter in the book of Jeremiah with me years ago, somewhere in those 15 or 20 years that I've been coming uh, to be with you, the lament of Jeremiah? Anybody remember that one? We looked at it together. I thought you might remember, John, and, and you might be the only one. Uh, we, looked at, we looked at the lament of Jeremiah, and we might look at it again due to your, uh, uh, your quick recollections. Jeremiah is a favorite uh, of my characters from the Old Testament. He's known as the what? Weeping prophet. Why is that the case? He not only shares with us his 
prophetic ministry, but he also shares with us his personal struggle, doesn't he? Both of those things are true. Here's someone that was called of God in Jeremiah chapter 1. I love the call of Jeremiah. Be reminded of the call of Jeremiah. It's a great passage that supports uh, the dignity and sanctity of human life. Uh, Before I knew you, I consecrated you, I called you, I appointed you. The call of Jeremiah, and Jeremiah learns er from early on that God is a God of plan, that God is a God of purpose, and God is a God of promise. Jeremiah said, hold on. I'm too young and I don't have the words to say. Remember that in Jeremiah chapter 1, the the call of Jeremiah. And that's when God said to him, listen, I'm going to tell you where to go. I'm going to tell you what to say. And I'm going to be with you. The call of Jeremiah, God is a God of plan. God is a God of purpose. And God is a God of promise. And so all throughout the book of Jeremiah... We have recorded for us his prophetic ministry, but also the personal struggle. That struggle is clearly seen in the the lament of Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 20. In that particular passage, Jeremiah comes to the point and place where life has been so difficult and so hard that he says, I want to quit. I'm done. Everywhere I look, he says, everywhere I look, I'm being made fun of. I'm a laughingstock all the day long. I feel as if, God, you've tricked me. You've deceived me. You've prevailed against me and you have won. Even my trusted friends, he says, are are seeking to uh, cause me to fall and to fail. Yet in the midst of the lament... He cries out like a true lament and says, you are faithful and your your promises are true. And I remember my call, but I still want to quit. Bring your judgment, he says, and bring your judgment now. Look at the lament. We're not going to. I just teased you with it for a moment. But it's in Lamentations chapter three that Jeremiah is again saying to us, you know what? Life is hard. And it might not get easier. Listen to how he says it. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 19. He says this, Remember my affliction and my wandering, my the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. That's language that we don't use a whole lot, right? But it's describing the reality of his condition, mindset. Attitude and reality. He's discouraged. He's down. He's depressed. He says it in this way. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. And then Jeremiah does something for us in verse 21. That teaches us the very lesson that we're hoping to learn this weekend together. He teaches us how to respond. In the midst of difficulty. How to deal with difficulty and to do so biblically. He demonstrates for us 
a pattern and a practice that really is supernatural. In verse 21, he says it this way, and this has everything to do with doctrine. This has everything to do with theology. This has everything to do with responding biblically to difficult days. Watch what he does. As he has just reminded us that life is hard and it might not get easier. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers. It's a statement of the reality of his inner challenge and difficulty. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. But here's what he does. This I recall to mind. It's a big statement. Verse 21. This I recall to my mind. Tell me what he's doing. I can say it again. I can read it again. This I recall to my mind. This I remember. This is what I I recollect. Tell me what he's doing, Jeremiah, in the midst of the heartache and difficulty. What is he doing? He's looking back at what? His experiences. He's looking back at his call. What is he remembering? He says it this way. This I recall to my mind. What does he recall to his mind? It's something very specific, and it's specifically about someone. That's right. It's about the person of God. Here's what he does. In the midst of difficulty, and this is not natural. This is supernatural, and it it requires programming. It requires forethought. It requires knowledge. It requires information. He's taking us through a a cognitive exercise, isn't he? Here I am in the midst of these difficult, dark days. My soul remembers and it's bowed down within me. And yet in the midst of it, when life is hard and might not get easier, he remembers and recalls something about who God is, about what he is like, about what he has said, about what he has promised. Remember in his call, look at the call of Jeremiah on your own tonight if you want to. Jeremiah chapter 1, God's a God of plan, a God of purpose, and a God of promise. And Jeremiah held on to those things even when he wanted to quit. He could not because it was within him, God-given, to do and to be what God had called him to do and to be. And yet in the midst of it, he teaches us this valuable lesson. We have to remember what God is like. We have to remember what God has said. We have to remember what God has promised. He teaches us. How to deal with difficult days. You've been given a four by six card. And here's what I'd love for you to do. There's a lot of candy stashed behind this. Did you know that? I wonder where in the world that came from. All this candy. Good night. Here's what I want you to do. On your four by six cards, would you please do this? Now or in the coming weeks, I don't care when you do it. 
It's not going to be collected. But write down the things that you recall to mind. Just like Jeremiah does here. This I recall to my mind, and he says right after that, therefore I have hope. It's a great verse. Have you spent much time in Lamentations? It's an encouraging place to be. Really and truly. In the midst of it, in the midst of difficulty, he says, here's what I recall to mind. Here's what I remember. Here's what I know to be true. Here's who you are. Here's what you're like. Here's what you said. I'm remembering it. I'm remembering it. I'm remembering it. And as a result, I have hope. So my question is this. What do you recall to mind? What do you remember? about what God is like, about what he has said, about what he has promised, about his being and his person. That's the exercise. You know what this is technically called? Theology proper. Theology proper. My dad taught a course, and he referenced the reality of this course here on numerous occasions. Uh, the course was entitled Survey of Glockdrin. I meant Survey of Doctrine, perhaps. Uh, uh, perhaps you've heard of it. Survey of Doctrine. And when you would go through Survey of Doctrine, you would cover all the theologies that systematically you can see in the, the text of God's Word. And one of the firsts, depending upon how you order them, is theology proper. The argument for the reality in the existence of God, considering his attributes and his characteristics, and the, uh, the list goes on. Theology proper. And Jeremiah demonstrates theology proper being practically lived out. And he's not alone. We'll see other passages tonight and this weekend together where the same thing is demonstrated. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. I would love for you, if you do this exercise this weekend, and again, you don't have to, you don't have to do it ever, but if you do it this weekend, share with me and perhaps we'll share with one another what's on your card. We might close some of our sessions together with what you write down. That's all you have to remember to bring, your Bibles and the four by six card. And jot down on there, if you want to take notes, great. But more importantly, jot down on there what you remember about who God is. What you recall about his person, his attributes, what he is like, what he has promised. It'd be great to hear what you say, or what you write down, or what comes to mind. What do you think came to Jeremiah's mind? This is a great passage. He says it this way. Verse 19 again. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. What did he recall to his mind? He tells us. I wonder if you wrote down any of these things on your 4 by 6 card. Or as you are mentally recollecting as you are entering into whether you want to acknowledge admit it or not into theology proper what comes to mind 
about who God is and what he's like. Here's what Jeremiah thought. He tells us. Listen to what he says. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. The, the loyal, the loyal love of the Lord never stops, never ceases. Who said that? Jeremiah said that. In the midst of what? In the midst of heartache and discouragement and difficult days, he remembers what God is like. He recalls. He brings to his mind cognitively, intellectually, theologically, and doctrinally the truth about who God is. And it allows him to respond experientially and practically appropriately to difficult days. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease for his compassions. What does he remember about his compassions? They never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Now be honest. When you think about this section of scripture and your mind naturally goes to a hymn of the faith, what do we typically think of when we sing that hymn of the faith? What do we typically think of when we are celebrating his great faithfulness? Do we think of what Jeremiah was going through? The difficulty and the heartache and the discouragement and the depression, and the reality of what it looked like to be a prophet of God who shared not only his prophetic ministry, but also his personal struggle. In the midst of that, that's when he makes these declarations. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. I have to remember in the midst of it, who you are and what you're like. I said to, I said to my dear friends, uh, Evan and Juanita this evening, I said, you know what? Through this whole process, this has been the hardest year of my life, uh, really and truly. But my, my faith and our faith, my wife and our children, our faith has been confirmed. And our faith has been strengthened. And that's, let me just promise you, that's nothing to do with me. And Kate and the kiddos, that has everything to do with who he is and what he is like and what he has promised. Our part is to remember it. This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. He says this in verse 24, if you're following. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Here he says it again. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. As a result, connected to that right thinking about who the Lord is and what he's like and what he does, I have hope. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the person who seeks him. 
It is good that he waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he should bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone and be silent since he has laid it on him. Let him be put, let him put his mouth in the dust. Perhaps there is hope. It's a great section. Lamentations chapter three. And there's more to this section that you can look at on your own. But a pattern has been established. It's a similar pattern we find in James chapter 1. And I'd love to look at that with you just for the, the duration of our time together. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. Again, why are we turning to, to James chapter 1? Because the same thing is demonstrated by the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. Do you remember what we studied last year together? Do you remember that? We looked at a a book written by another one of the half-brothers of the Lord Jesus. Hey Jude is what we considered last year together. Here's another one of the half-brothers of the Lord Jesus. Both of them, both of them declaring that they are bond servants. They are servants of choice of the Lord Jesus Christ. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 gives us a similar pattern that we've seen in Lamentations chapter 3. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. We have another section. And our goal again this weekend is to look at passages of Scripture that teach us how to deal with difficult days. You'll notice a similar pattern that we've seen in Lamentations chapter 3 in James chapter 1. He says it this way. He begins this section, and it's familiar. I know that to be true. I know who you are. But don't dismiss it. Because this is the passage, as well as many others, this is one of the passages that really we must live out in order to biblically deal with difficult days. It's been a hard year. And so he says it this way. Count it or consider it all joy. Count it or consider it all joy. Let me ask you, in order to do this, what is necessary? In order to do what James says to do in this particular section, each of the chapters of James deal with a different subject matter. Chapter 1 is really about trials. And we're just going to look at this section uh, together tonight and then the various other passages that uh, help us deal with difficult days. But what is James saying here that we must do? What does it require? Count it or consider it all joy. How in the wide world of sports do we do this? I'm asking. What is he asking us to do? What is he teaching us to do? What is necessary in order for us to live out what James is saying here. Consider it or count it all joy. What do you think? It has to do with how we think, doesn't it? It has to do with how we think. In order for us to think this way, what is necessary? And I'm not making light of or diminishing the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. This is the only means by which we can think and live this way. Hear me say that. 
But from an intellectual and personal perspective, how do we pull this thing off? Count it all joy. We're really supposed to. Hear me say this to you, and I'm not saying this with a cold heart, someone who doesn't understand really what you all are going through and how hard life can be. It's been a tough year. But we have to do this. I have to do this. The Davises have to do this. Others who are dealing with difficulty and heartache and loss and struggle and sorrow, we have to do this. It's how we biblically are supposed to respond to difficult days. So what is he telling us to do? It has to do with our thinking, Ryan, you're right. It has to do with our thinking. And how did you say it? Rethinking? Change our thought pattern, okay. What else? Let's just develop that thought a little bit. Recalling. Recalling. That's involved again as well. Please. Do I really trust God? Oh, that's a big one. Do I really trust? It's a big part of this, no doubt. Please. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay. God hasn't moved. We're still in his presence. Right. Just like Jeremiah. God's got a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got a promise. When, when do we have to do the work in order for us to respond in the midst of difficulty? Daily, no doubt. And before the difficulty. This is, this is pre-planning. There, there are many engineers I know in the room. I get that. Uh, I am not one. You know that to be true. But I do understand how you think, and I pray for you because of that reality. <laughs> Seriously, people. This requires... This requires a lot of work ahead of time. Have any of you read this passage where it says, count it all joy and respond negatively to that statement in your mind and heart? Have you ever been there where your response is, are you serious, James? You're really telling me in the midst of this difficulty, this heartache, this loss, this suffering, that I am supposed to respond to it joyfully? Have any of you ever thought that about James and his statement here? Do any of you struggle with lying? We all, we all, we all have had a difficulty with him saying this. When people are going through it, uh, we, we sometimes, um, when we say things that seem biblical yet flippant and trite, they, they don't seem to make much difference. Or Just trust God, brother. It's going to work out. It's going to work out. All things work together for good. Come on. Chin up. But the reality is this, that we have to know what God has said. And we have to pre-plan and pre-program and be ready to hit the appropriate response button in the midst of it. If we don't know what to think, if we don't know what he's like, if we don't know what he said, if we don't know how he wants us to respond, it's going to be all the more difficult to deal with it when we're in it. Isn't that true? And so James says to consider it or to count it all joy. It it, it involves intellect. It involves the thought process. It involves memory. It involves study. It involves knowledge. It involves truth in order to do this. And I'm not suggesting to you that it makes it easy. 
I am suggesting to you that it gives you hope. So he says it this way. Consider or count it all joy, my brethren. He uses that term, I think, nearly 15 times in this epistle. Uh, it's written to save folks, Jewish folks of the dispersion, no doubt. But practically for all of us who are believers, brethren, count it all joy when? When you encounter various trials. And you know what that means? Various trials. Some of them are no big deal, and some of them are the most difficult of trials and circumstances. It, by definition, conveys a variety of challenge and difficulty in life. And the challenge and difficulties that we face, these various trials, are all testing our what? Our faith. Our faith in in regards to how we respond to difficult days. Various, different, small and great and all in between trials and difficulties that we encounter, we're supposed to encounter them with joy. That takes pre-planning and pre-programming. What else are we supposed to think in the midst of it? It's not a mystery. What does James say? Look at it with me. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing, what does the word knowing uh, convey? So there's some certainty there, but it again, it again goes to the, the mindset, right? Thinking, having a biblical worldview, a Christian perspective on how God works, knowing that. The testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When does that perfection ultimately occur, by the way? Anybody there yet? Just willing to confess and admit it? When does this occur? Ultimately, glorification. We'll talk about that one. But what is he saying when he's talking about perfection? He's not conveying that will be the case this side of glory, but he is conveying that we would respond maturely. That there would be spiritual growth and spiritual development that comes with understanding how God works in light of who he is. Faith simply defined is believing in the reality and existence of God and responding in obedience to him. This is a this is a a faith experience. So as we deal with the difficult, our faith demonstrates our spiritual maturity or perfecting the sanctification process. There's a catch, however. What's the catch? We've got to deal with this the way this text tells us to. I love that we what we see in in verse five. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Contextually, what what could that uh, could that be referring to? But if any of you lacks wisdom, this is in the context of what? What's the theme of chapter one? I forget. One word. One concept. Trials. Right. 
So here in the midst of those difficulties, small, great, all in between, where we are supposed to count it all joy when we fall into them, there may be an occasion where we don't completely understand it, right? Anybody been there? Here you are in the midst of a difficulty, a trial, varying in, in, in severity, and you, you understand that you're, sub, you're supposed to respond with joy, and you understand that there's a work going on here, and so faith is at work, and persevering and enduring is part of it, and, and allowing growth to occur. But as we know those factual things, there's going to be the reality that we don't get it all. We don't understand why he's doing it this way and why he's doing it now and why it has to be this hard and why I have to deal with this. And that all those things contextually uh, have to do with this question of lacking wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. What are we ultimately asking God? We're asking for wisdom but wisdom uh, in order to do what? I'm asking you. Help us understand the trial. Help us, trial. Help us to, to let this experience we're going through demonstrate the reality of our faith. I've heard, I've heard testimony, have you? Uh, about uh, what was declared at a, a recent funeral service about a person of faith. Live that faith out. Demonstrated evidence. And that is what James is talking about here. In the midst of it, when we don't get it, what can we remember about who God is and what he's like? This I recall to mind. What does it say he's like here in regards to the request for wisdom? I love this section. What does it say he's like? He gives generously without what? Reproach, right? What what does that mean? What is God like? Put it into your own words this evening at 20-ish after the hour of 8. He doesn't put me down for not getting it all. Yeah, he, he doesn't say, you know, here you are again, John. <laughs> he doesn't say, you know what, I, 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 I'm too busy. He doesn't say, you've had your quota for the month of wisdom. This is a great reminder of who our God is and what he is like. We are desperate for his help, aren't we? We are desperate for him. And here we can turn to him and say, in the midst of it, I am counting it all joy. It doesn't eliminate that. It's not one or the other. If if you lack wisdom, you're not counting it all joy. We can do both. We can respond correctly. I'm counting it all joy. I'm doing that because I'm knowing, I know that you're at work. I know my faith is growing through this test process, trial, experience, endurance, and perseverance. I, I know that, but I still am struggling. And so can you help me here? Can you give me some wisdom? I need it from you. And we're supposed to view him the right way. He wants to pour it out. Can you hear the truck backing up? Beep. Beep, beep. He wants to pour out wisdom. Not holding it back. Giving us all the wisdom we need to deal with the trial, the difficulty, the way he wants us to deal with the trial and difficulty. Listen to what he says. 
But if any of you lacks wisdom, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus says this, let him ask of God, who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it will what? It'll be given to him. What will be given to him? Wisdom that he's been asking for. But here's the catch. I said that too soon moments ago. Here's the catch. What's the catch? It relates to our faith, no doubt. We have to be asking in what kind of faith? With no doubting. That's a huge statement. Listen to what he says. But let him, verse 6, let him ask in faith without any doubting. Faith, believing in the reality and existence of God and responding in obedience to him. But let him ask in faith without any doubting. What are we asking for? Wisdom. Please pour it. Pour it on. I need it by the truckload. This is hard. This is difficult. I don't understand. I don't get it. I don't want to waver. I don't want to... uh, Learn this one again. I don't want to lose sight of who you are and what you're like and what you're doing. So please, please help. But we need to ask with no doubt. What does that require? I know it requires faith, but what else does it require? Knowing who God is. Remembering who he is, what he's like and what he has said. Jeremiah did the same thing, right? This I recall to my mind. Therefore, I have hope. But let him ask in faith without any doubting. Anybody struggle with this one? I struggle with this one. For various reasons I could go into, and so could you. But we're supposed to act, ask with zero doubting involved. And that demonstrates our view and perspective of who God is and what he is like and what he has promised. But let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea. Isn't that a great picture? Driven and tossed by the wind. When we're doubting, when we're doubting and still approaching, but we're, we're asking with doubt, we are like the, the surf tossed to and fro by the wind. And what is it that we should expect? What's it say? Look at what it says. But let him ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? It's pretty strong. There are expectations in this passage for us. If we go about this passage and we obey it and follow it as sincerely uh, as possible, what can we expect? What can we take to the bank? Understanding, wisdom, he promises to give it, holding none back. We can expect growth, we can expect maturity, we can expect perfecting the process of sanctification. We can expect all those things. If our asking, if our approaching is like the surf of the sea tossed to and fro by the wind, our expectations should be zip. Not zero. Reactions to that. 
curious to hear. One thing that comes to my mind is that I focus on my faith and how good my faith is. I don't want to be doubting. But if I focus on him and the reality of who he is. And what he is like. Amen. It's an encouraging reality. Same thing was true for Jeremiah. In the midst of it, I've got to remember who he is. I've got to remember what he is like. You'll hear me say this again in uh, one of the uh, coming messages, but someone has said it this way, that everything that matters in life hangs upon who God is. Think about that. Everything that matters in life hangs upon who God is. This is theology proper 101. And James is saying we need to view him the right way and never doubt that he is consistent in his person and in his being. For let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James chapter 1, 1 through 8. Lamentations chapter 3, 19 through 21 and following. Let me ask you, if you were Jeremiah and you were going through the exercise that he went through where he says, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Remembering who God is, remembering what he's like, remembering what he said, remembering what he promised. I'm asking you, what would you remember? What would you recall? What passage of scripture would you turn to? I'm hoping that through this weekend, that will be the exercise that we go through, and you'll be jotting them down. Here's the promise. Here's the passage about the person of, of my, my great God and his character and his attributes. Any of those come to mind that you'd be willing to share at uh, this time of closure this evening? This I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. What do you recall to mind, John? All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful. It's a cognitive, intellectual exercise that causes a difference in our lives experientially. It has to be in that order. Others that come to mind. As basic as you can get in regards to our salvation, it's unmerited, undeserved favor. For by grace we have been saved. Through faith. That not of yourself. Psalm 119, you are good and you do good. You are good and you do good. Brother Evan. It seems to me, when you look at that verse, it talks about finding joy in the trial. When you hear it, and consider what the Lord has promised, you inevitably look at the future, too. Right. Sure. It's a different. It, it's a different reality, isn't it? Now, it's a different reality. And what do you have as a result? Joy. Hear this: joy and hope yeah. in the midst of heartache and hurt. Why is that true? Because the Word of God says so. This I recall to my mind. 
Therefore, I have hope. It's as practical as it gets. Others that come to mind. Isaiah 44, I am God and there is no other. Oh, Brother Phil, doesn't that bring comfort? I am God and there is no other. Other passages, please. It's a great psalm of comfort. Read at many graveside services, no doubt. There should be more and more, and I can tell that there are, and praise the Lord. Our desire will be this, my friends, in the coming sessions. We have two tomorrow. We have two on Sunday, if the Lord wills. That we look at other passages of Scripture that demonstrate for us the same thing. The same thing. How do we deal with difficult days? What does God word, God's Word tell us to do? Because the truth is, it's been a tough year. And life is hard, and it might not be easy. But in the midst of all those realities, we have help, we have hope, and we can have joy. Father, help us, I pray, to respond the right way. May we not fall into the trap and, and the mindset that this is only and solely informational and intellectual and knowledge driven and based. It's where we start, but it's not where we finish. We thank you that as we can know your truth and memorize your truth and uh, recall it and, and as we continue to mature and develop and uh, go through the perfecting process of, of sanctification, that we as a result have, have help and we have hope. And we can remember your characteristics and attributes. And therefore, in the midst of it, count it all joy. So help us to think right and live right and deal with difficulty in the way you would have us to. It's not easy. It's not formulaic. It's not without pain and difficulty. And so we praise you that we can come to you expecting you to pour out wisdom and other things we'll see in the days to come that you promise us in the midst of it. We praise you for that. Pray for these dear ones here who are dealing with difficult days. May they deal in the way you want them to. And as a result, grow, mature, and have joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.